Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Yes, it's the IGN UK podcast with me, Simon Cardi. Jesse Gomez, are you into tub thumping? What? <laughs> you, say, you say tub? Tub thumping. It doesn't you sound... You're f- not familiar with the works of Chumbawamba? <laughs> no. Do you know any of the words I've just said? No, Do not you? really. Tub okay, thumping cool. sounds disgusting, to be honest. It's a good song, though. Uh, a bit of an England... <laughs> national anthem for a period of time uh i'm sure you're a big fan matt uh i wouldn't say i'm a big fan however i do know exactly what you're talking about okay that's good that is good maybe it's one for people in their in their 30s i don't know um anyway we just uh came off a big old play of a new i say a big old play play about an hour of hell divers 2 which uh out today it kind of snuck up on me. I knew it was coming soon. I didn't realise it was as soon as out. Well, today we're recording this on Thursday, just so you know. Um, the new co-op game from PlayStation, which is also available on PC. Um, Four-player, I suppose the pitch is Starship Troopers, but a game, really? Yeah, if, I, I think that's so. fair to mm. say. It is like Starship Troopers. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's a sequel to Helldivers, which was a top-down shooter. But this one is a third-person shooter, and it's very fun. I think it kind of surprised... Like, I was kind of half-interested in this game. I thought I'd give it a go. Always on the lookout for a new co-op game, just because there don't seem to be many good ones or yeah. kind of ones that try and push the boat out these days, uh, as we were talking about earlier. But um, Helldivers 2, I think it's taken this by surprise a bit, just by in that hour alone we've played the first, what, three missions of the game? And mm. it's genuinely very fun, and if you like explosions... This is a game for you, especially comically big explosions. I think that's one thing we all took away from it. Uh, it's explosive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I um, uh, there's, you know, it's a third person shooter, but I think it's well, a it's interesting that place this PlayStation Studios branding is on a multiplayer shooter to begin with. They mm-hmm. obviously it's not made by one of their in house studios. This is like a the Swedish developer Arrowhead Studios, is it? Mm-hmm. Um and it is. I hesitate to say. Is it a live service game? Would we consider it that there is a? I mean, a, it's, it's certainly got like a roadmap. Uh, yeah, somewhat of a battle pass, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah, but it's not really. I had a look around the store. It's not really microtransaction heavy. You can buy some credits, which you can unlock some cosmetic stuff with. But you can also earn that currency in game. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a prohibitively. It, it's yeah, got like transaction it, game. It's got a long kind of forward ahead of it, but in mm-hmm. terms of the actual matches they're they're quite kind of um they're four player co-op we were obviously playing as three but you essentially start on this you customize your own ship right like you give it mm-hmm. a name and it's all i gave mine the dawn of dawn because yeah. i'm hilarious <laughs> it's very starship troopers in its in its narrative kind of like the hell divers are patriotic forces going out into the galaxy to enforce democracy on kind of other planets <laughs> and there's a galaxy map and you choose kind of the sector to, to start a match. You're choosing a sector and a planet from this galaxy map with the idea that the more multiplayer matches that happen on these planets, you're gradually 
overtaking them and enforcing democracy and pushing kind of like this galactic front line forwards towards the end goal. So I assume the point is, is the more people play, the more we'll get to bigger kind of mm-hmm. events that we'll unlock mm. as it goes on. Yeah. But- I just unlocked a shotgun as soon as we stopped oh, playing, did you? by the way. I bought it. So yeah, I've got the shotgun. I say oh, bought it. I bought it with in-game, you know, yeah. points. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. buy it. But yeah, so there is, there's a steady stream of unlocks. I think my favourite, those are these... Um, what I've already forgotten stratagems. what they're called. Stratagems. That's what I can only think of Alan Partridge when I think of the word <laughs> stratagem. But um, you buy these and they're basically like like they're not suppose they're like kill streaks, but you don't actually have to build up any kill streaks. Yeah, they're deployable they're just on a specials, right? Yeah, which like I unlocked one, which was it's just like called an eagle gatling strike, which basically just comes in and just like puts a straight line of bullets down. They're kind of it's got that fun thing of. It did remind me of those old modern warfare days where you'd get the kill streak and you just lay down the attack mm-hmm. jumper and, yeah. and just watch it do its work and yeah. just everything would blow up mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of good like I think that's just one element of like it's surprisingly there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot going oh, yeah. on. It isn't just point trigger, run at aliens and then extract. No, it, it's yeah. kind of like so you land the point is is like you choose your planet and you land on it and that planet will have a number of objectives. So it's kind of an open world ish map, you know, not not like a full, you know, 75 square kilometers or whatever. But you've got kind of an open map of which there will be multiple things on there. So sometimes it's hunting down kind of giant monsters to to mm. kill, sometimes it's going and destroying uh, like stockpiles of ammunition and stuff like that and there's 40 minutes that you've got to do it they're almost I guess they're sort of mildly considered suicide runs and it's like <laughs> yeah. if you don't get it done in 40 minutes we're not coming and picking you up and yeah so you're going around this kind of choosing your objectives as you go you know there's that sort of amount of freedom but like you say you've got you know your buddies with you which have all got their on hand weapons you know your assault rifles and your pistols but then these stratagems which come in kind of like grenade form that you throw which i love about the fact that each one has got a unique dial code that you essentially mm-hmm. dial into almost as if you're telephoning for support so it'll be like <laughs> yeah. down down left right or down up down down it's like little cheat codes yeah I really yeah like it. And, you know, there's that tactical element of kind of like, okay, we're running out of ammunition. Let's call in a supply drop. Okay, there's 700 of these, they call terminids, these giant Mm bug-like creatures. Yeah. There's 700 of them running over that hill. So let's get an orbital strike in over there. Or, you know. Or more crucially, it's how you revive people, right? So if one of us goes Mm. down, you have to call in the pods. You have to. It's like survive under pressure and try and dial in Uh, this code on a D-pad. And it's it's a bit of a fun panic. The first like literally the first couple minutes when we selected like oh we're going to do this mission is like oh we get to choose where we're going to drop might as well be near the objective we all drop you're yeah. firing at the enemies i accidentally walk past you kill me there is I friendly think, fire yeah that's where fri- most of our deaths have come from it's friendly them. fire and it's just absolute manic i just i really love it but that that kind of accidental death element right is you start with kind of oh okay i realize we've got friendly fire and i've accidentally clipped someone but my first death was we had these um, kind of like warehouses that we had to blow up by ch- chucking grenades through the roof mm. hatches and they blew up. But the there's physical properties attached to the d- the crumbling debris and the <laughs> roof panel off this thing just pinwheeled across the map and <laughs> tore me in two. So then it's like you, you call in drop pods and I drop down and it's great that those drop pods went. You can control them as they fall from the sky. So I got to land on enemies and crush them. Mm-hmm. But then you come out and towards the end of that mission... It has like an extraction system where you run to your extraction point, you call an extraction, you have to hold out for a couple of minutes against waves of enemies. 
and um, we did all that successfully. And the drop, the 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 drop ship came down, which obviously has afterburner thrusters on the bottom to steady as it comes in. Uh, I didn't look up and just got absolutely roasted alive <laughs> by the ship that was coming to save me. It's that Almost energy perfect. all it's the way very through fun. it. It's got that great combination of like funny moments through gameplay, but also funny. Like some of the writers genuinely, they've got a really nice fun tone to it. Like the things the soldiers would just shout, like another win for democracy when you <laughs> yeah. kill like aliens. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's got a lovely like tongue-in-cheek tone which I'm really enjoying. I know you compare it a lot to. I've never really played EDF uh, mm. of Defense Force Jesse, but I know it's got a lot of that energy that you enjoy. Yeah, I mean EDF is you go into it and it, it has the most cheesiest, awfully delivered dialogue. You know there is when it's just like hey we got to save the planet and all sorts, and they're always talking about democracy and like singing little chants together and stuff as they're killing aliens. But EDF is it, it's sort of like low budget, but insane what occurs where you know there'll be near enough like 800 like ants and wasps and robots and frog like <laughs> cyborgs coming after you with lasers and stuff and you're dropping in tanks and you're dropping in airstrikes and whatnot and it's insane because there's you know that huge assortment of weapons and abilities and i've been waiting for the new edf to come out for a little while now it's been released in japan for a little bit coming to the mm-hmm. west soon i think and hell divers 2 is i wasn't expecting it to be exactly what i wanted because yeah it's just a, it's just a really it's, pleasant it's surprise. It's a shame if it was a quieter time, and there weren't other games we had to play for work and stuff like that. I would probably play a lot of this game, yeah. but I feel I will. I do want to play more of it. I just I'm I'm just afraid I'm not going to be able to for at least a couple of weeks, which mm. is annoying. But um, I hope it does. Where like the Steam pre-order numbers were quite big, it, like topped the Steam charts this week, which is surprising. And I hope it does well because I do want it to still like kind of keep going. I think so. I would like to get into it at some point yeah. Yeah. in the near future. And I think that thing about getting into it. Is, is good, right? I think one of the things that I found really interesting and what I think is valuable to this game is it is not the third-person shooter I think I expected of it because, mm. you know, one of the things that we did very early on in this was we called down a bomb, which you then had to go and type, like, the code in to arm it, and then there's, like, a five-second countdown on it. And the explosion that comes out of it <laughs> is, is colossal. Like so, so it is very funny in that over-the-top kind of, yeah. you know, kind of uh, action eighties action movie kind of mm. element. It's got about that. Yeah. And so that would kind of suggest to you that it's a very arcade-focused shooter, mm. and it absolutely isn't. There's yeah. quite a lot of tactics required to it. We've only played it on kind of like the bottom rungs of the difficulty ladder, and I imagine as that increases, your tactical awareness mm-hmm. needs to go up. But certain things that are streamlined in many other shooters just aren't here. So, for example, when you run out of ammunition, you're out of ammunition and you have to actively push the reload button to put a new one in. There's no automatic reload on empty. Mm-hmm. And also, if you reload halfway through the clip, you throw that the rest of that magazine away. So you have yeah. to be very you know active yeah. with knowing how much ammunition you've got. And then there are things like when you swap to grenades... Once you've thrown a grenade, you don't automatically swap back to your your pistol or, or your main mm. gun like a lot of other games do. So, which meant that I was just throwing grenades willy nilly yeah, because I assumed that. that I was switching back. And then, uh, like all of these things, add up and and they make it a surprisingly deliberate shooter yeah. for for what the energy of it but, elsewhere I, is. I, I, it's I, just a f- go. On. Oh no, I was going to say, I, just, I even appreciate those those small little things as well, those extra sort of details where we haven't unlocked it yet, but there's extra sort of um, cooldowns you can uh, bring to the map where there might be 
a rocket launcher that needs to be manned or reloaded by another player. So if mm-hmm. I was to fire something, then, oh, maybe, you know, Cardio might have to come, come behind if there's an enemy storming me. Or even just when we were going to try and destroy these two silos out next to each other, you called in the hell bomb, which was that massive explosion. But we called in and we're like, oh, are we done? We waited a few seconds like, oh, wait, no, we need to go there, activate and then run away. And it's <laughs> making those little decisions like, am I going to be yeah. the person to stay behind and try and do that whilst, you know, everyone's defending me? It's just... You don't really get that in other co-op games like this. No, I do think it fundamentally, and it is designed to be a co-op game, I'm not sure how much fun I would have by myself playing this game. I think a yeah. lot of fun does come in playing with your friends in this. And also just, I want to say, the fundamental third-person shooter gameplay is just very good. We were talking about it earlier, like, not to, to rag on Suicide Squad anymore, but that is one of the, the common complaints people have that game, that every gun feels the same. Like, mm. the you can't have a loot system, right, where every gun pretty much feels the same. Even between an SMG, an assault rifle, and a pistol, they all kind of, they're the same trigger pull. Like, there's no difference, really. Yeah. There's no difference in reload, whereas this... Each, like, already, I tried an SMG, a pistol, and an assault rifle. The recoil, recoil patterns are completely different. The yeah. way you have to reload them is, like, the animations are different. It just, you can tell they spent a lot of time working on that gunplay. And I looked, in the time, um, Helldivers was their last game, Arrowhead, in 2015. So they've also been working on this for mm-hmm. a while. And it shows, because I think they've they've really thought about all these systems and how they interplay. And I was expecting something like... I think you said earlier, Matt, something a lot more shallow than it is. It's actually mm-hmm. a lot more involved. And well, when I'm, you're I'm, saying I'm about really into it. that individuality of the guns, like the in your base kit, you can call down uh, a big, heavy like LMG, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is pretty good for when you're having to hold out against enemies at the end. And it is, it's a lot more powerful than your other guns. But I love the fact that to reload that, you actually have to kneel down, lay the gun on your leg, and spend mm-hmm. a good few seconds kind of taking the belt out of the ammunition bag, loading a new one in. And all of these things, it's not just loot with invisible like damage figures on them where it's just like, oh, great, this one does 3% more damage than my my, my kind of assault rifle. There's the, the feels functionality built into each of the weapons that feels deliberate and distinct. Mm-hmm. And it creates this sense of it's a weapon, it's not a, a stat block built into a, a metal box. Yeah, even yeah. even when you discovered that, I think it was called the arc throw, and we're up against all those different robots the first time we'll play, and you're like, how does this work? And then you charge, and then it like sort of sent a bolt for a couple of enemies, like, oh, that's going to be really yeah. useful in this scenario. And it's just, and it, it's that sense it, of discovery. It's just really mm-hmm. fun. It's not just Starship Troopers like Aliens either. There are these like Terminator Android enemies as well, which their enemy design is, there's a lot already, we've only done one mission against them, but there was at least three or four different types of enemies in that first wave. Yeah, and they're relentless Run at you, ones that fly at you, like big tankier ones. Yeah, ones that have got like swords for arms, you know, and they they can lay down mines as well that we kept, just ran into a minefield accidentally (laughs) and blew ourselves up. It's just very fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the main thing to sort of point out is like, you are going to die a lot in this game. Because when we started, like, you know, we want to obviously get some gameplay up on uh, IGN and whatnot. I was sort of worried. I was like, oh, everyone's just going to think we're always dying. But I do think that is a, a core part of the game is that you're going to die in silly ways. And you're mm-hmm. going to have to think of when's the right moment, you know, a tactical moment even when I can call down my teammate and they might be able to take down and a few enemies with them with their drop pod. It's, it's all part of the experience. Yeah, I want to. I do want to play more. Like you said, it's nice to have a good co-op game. Like mm. these guys have been doing. I didn't. I only just looked up. I didn't realize they've always kind of been into co-op. Their first game was Magicka, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize, oh, okay. um, which I played a little bit of back in the day. But um, yeah, it's good to just see 
It's sad about the Swedish, isn't it? Because it's also uh, Haze, it's Hazelight, isn't it? It's the name of the studio who make it. It takes two. Mm-hmm. Like it's sad about <laughs> they love a bit of co-op over there, and yeah, it's just nice to have more co-op games. Like I said, hopefully we get to play some more of this, but uh, other things to play around this time of year or this year in general, really. Um, speaking of which, Matt, you've managed to play like the opening few hours of Final Fantasy VII, a preview event. Lucky you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of people have been lucky enough to play the first hour or two now because the demo's out, which I have, but you've you've got a much more developed thought palette on this what? game. <laughs> okay. I don't know. If you say so. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to interrupt you. Some heartbreaking, breaking news here, actually, and I mean breaking news. Um, Nestle have just announced they're axing the breakaway bar after 54 years. Well, How do you feel about that? Are you familiar with the Breakaway Bar? Uh, yeah, yeah. I used it's to a very break- basic chocolate biscuit bar. Oh, it, but it feels like a staple. What I, mean, I will why? say yeah. is there's an interesting texture to the biscuit within the Breakaway, mm. which is almost like chipboard. When you when you bite into <laughs> it, it's kind of like quite rough, isn't it? A Breakaway. Yeah. It's not like it's a rocky like burnt biscuit, edges. which is it's smooth. Like, yeah, it's almost got like a burnt edge to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, RIP to the breakaway bar. Where would that be in your? Would that ever make your lunchbox rotation, Jesse? I think so because like we we sometimes had these in the office as well, and I always yeah, yeah, I always breakaway, enjoyed yeah. their presence. I I, I, I like, mean I like the crunch and the snap of a chocolate with the biscuit, and yeah. breakaway had that. And they are like a rung below years. the club, right? The club biscuits better. You get more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clubs chunky and a gold a bar. I love a gold bar as well. Mm. Um, Fifty-four years ain't bad. That's it's a, a good run. Yeah. Uh, well done to the breakaway bar. Anyway, um, <laughs> Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Rebirth, Matt. Um, a lot of people may well have played the opening chapter, which is the demo, the Nibelheim flashback sequence, but you've gone beyond that. Where would you like to start with all this? Yeah, so is the demo only the Nibelheim flashback? Does it is, not go? I believe it's just chapter one. Right, um, okay. Let me double check that for you. So, because I have played chapter one and chapter two. Ooh. So, confirm <laughs> with me first, Simon, whether the, the general public will have yes, wider knowledge. I will. Da, 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 da. As far as I understand, it is whatever the Nibelheim flashback sequence consists of. Yes, I am I not a Final the, Fantasy boy, though. The demo ends uh, when you're crawling, if that's a. Uh, right. Okay, that's a, a tease, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. So yes, go ahead. So, so Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, obviously the sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake, and the second game in the remake project, which will eventually span three games. Um, we pick up uh, in chapter. Well, we don't really pick up in chapter one. Chapter one is a flashback to much earlier in Final Fantasy VII's story. If you've played the original, this is the famous Nibelheim flashback. Even if you've not played the original, you will almost certainly know the image of Sephiroth surrounded by flames. It's like mm. one of the the all-time images of the PS1 era. And uh, that's what you're going to get from this. So if, if Final Fantasy Remake as a project is the first time you're engaging with the story, you're finally going to see that moment. And it's... It's basically the point where Sephiroth flips. It's where he mm. goes from being this incredible war hero to um, to being kind of the villain of the whole piece. Um, and chapter one is effectively kind of more of the same as what you remember from, from Seven Remake. Um, it's a largely linear kind of trek up this mountain, which leads you to, surprise, surprise, a Mako reactor, because they're pretty mm. important to the Final Fantasy VII story. Um, but the the kind of key kind of trick that you've got here is 
you actually get to control Sephiroth. Now, in the original game, Sephiroth was in your battle party in this, but he was controlled by the AI, and you kind of just watched on in mm. awe as in that turn-based combat, he could just do way more impressive spells <laughs> than you could. Uh, this time around, you, you are literally in control of him, um, and his combat arrangement, considering that if they follow the original game, like like largely beat for beat in the same way that remake is largely beat for beat apart from the ending um this is probably the only time you will play a sephiroth they have put a lot of effort into this guy's combat it was cool like i said i've played then so i've played this bit yeah. and um he's yeah, like a full-fledged just, character exactly and it's a great kind of re-entry like getting your mind back into that combat first well because he is just overpowered <laughs> and it makes you feel great but you're also it's the same fundamental button presses isn't it so yeah that's what's good so, so you know it, it carries on that like really wonderful reinvention of you know it, it, it's not turn-based but it has the fact that you can slow the action right down to like zero zero point two percent of a crawl and choose special attacks from a menu um but on top of that you've got your hack and slash and defend and dodge kind of uh, gameplay but sephiroth has a parry system which even in you know you get to control him for probably i guess about like 45 minutes um within that case i hadn't mastered it and i'm kind of like oh it almost feels like a waste if you never get to play as him again which mm -hmm. i have no reason to believe that you necessarily would but you know the, this remake project is all about defying expectations um, but that's very cool. But I'd say, like, in general, I think if you've played Remake and you're playing this demo, a lot of what you're going to get is what you would have expected from there, from from the original game, because it's very, very similar. Where things kind of change up is in Chapter 2, the story catches back up to where we left our beloved characters at the end of Remake. They're, they're in this little town called Calm, uh, which, again, is from the original. And they're basically, they're, they're running away from Midgar, um, Shimra kind of turns up which they didn't in the original game that's a little bit of a curveball and you, you run out into the grasslands which in the original game was uh, what we used to call the overworld in that kind of era mm. of games right where it's it's just a, a very very simple scaled down globe to allow you to travel between the more detailed locations and yes there'd be kind of battles that you could do in that area but in general that it wasn't it wasn't very detailed it's not really a main gameplay hook whereas here it's been turned into an actual open world um so what you've got is um obviously plenty of creatures around to fight but also little odd locations which have got you know kind of secret treasure chests in there to to pick things up and then so, you get a little bit further and you find the chocobo ranch which everybody okay. kind of knows so there is reason. actual like landmark submissions because when i first saw footage of this mm -hmm. and heard you speak about it i was like oh no this sounds a little bit like where final fantasy 16 went wrong by having these open areas that kind of had nothing of interest i was to do. really worried that that was going to be the same and what i will say is the immediate kind of vibe that you get from this is these areas do feel far more organic and expansive even if they didn't have activities to do in them the way they've built it, Final Fantasy 16, I think, feels they're real, they're flat, aren't they? A lot of the areas are very flat, even mm -hmm. if there's inclination in the environments. The way you get around them does just feel like you're you're plodding from A to B. Whereas Cloud can climb in this, and I know that that sounds like very basic, 
And in many ways, you you could argue that it feels a needless addition to it. There's a there's a fair few bits of Uncharted style. Here's some yellow paint on a wall, and these are the bits that you can. <laughs> yeah, climb. that's in the demo. I was like, oh, this feels a little clunky. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I needed this. <laughs> but having that, and actually, when you run at things that are a little bit higher than his legs, a little bit higher than his knees, should I say? Like he will cl- he will clamber up over them, and like you can leap yourself off higher things. Just that sense of being able to tackle the outdoors does make Mm. it feel more like an adventure like there is stuff to do here but that then feeds into the fact that you will find just locations that are hey there's four hidden items here uh so you start doing that but then you eventually get to what are called remnaware towers and those in the most classic open world tradition you activate them and they start to plot activities (laughs) on your map and then you can go around and you can scan things some of them are like hunt style battles and this all do you remember chadley from the original game how can i forget that little bastard you guys have been you guys mentioned chadley i think chadley in our morning who is chadley because that's an awful name he is an uh obnoxious little teenage boy who (laughs) kind of ill like from what i've seen this one he'll phone you up and be like like every two minutes, or phone you up and just be like, hello. I, I didn't play it long enough necessarily to get into okay. that, so maybe that is something that happens later on. But his whole deal is that he's into intelligence. He wants to know everything about mm. the world. And if you bring okay. him intelligence, which is by completing the side activities, you gain things to bring back to him. And that allows him to build materia for you. Now, materia are the magic orbs that give you your special abilities. Right. Um, most importantly, he can build summer materia out of it, which I'm sure Jesse, even as a Final Fantasy novice, yeah, yeah. you know the fact that these are the, the big... But most of- importantly, he's a little weirdo. He is a little weirdo. <laughs> I mean, any, any character named Chad, and then even worse, Chadley, just conjures images the, in my the mind. The thing that's weird is is that they have chosen Chad as a name, and I don't know if they've done this ironically. He is the least Chad Chad that exists <laughs> right. in any world. Like I was saying, uh, I mean, that's there's something good. nothing to you, but all I think of is Nasser Chadley, former Spurs, West Brom and Belgian winger. Of um, course. It's the, it's the only person I've ever heard called Chadley before. Fair this, enough. Um, it's this good to know it's actually a name. Well, it's spelled differently. But, um, yeah, he's just... I remember him from the first one just like... There's sign on settling about him. What's he, he see? What's he hiding? He what's is a bit his? odd, yeah. But ultimately, so I didn't. Obviously, when you go to a preview event, uh, particularly mm. ones that are to do where they open up into open worlds, you can obviously only stay at the preview event for so long. So I had like a hard cap, and the chapter one is surprisingly long. The Nibelheim flashback is. That's a, a long demo. It's almost two hours. Yeah, so it's a big part of the original game, but it's definitely not that long, and so. You do get, you know, there's a, there's a boss encounter in that that wasn't in the original that you will recognize if you've played original Final Fantasy VII from a different part of the game. They move yeah. it into into that uh, area. Uh, so that took me a long time to get through. And so I didn't quite have enough time at this demo to start getting a real feel for every mm. side activity. So I don't know how valuable they are in terms of how good are they to spend your time in. But the fact that doing them will lead to new materia and summer materia suggests yeah. that certainly some of them are going to be worth doing, even if it's just to get the reward out of it, not necessarily the gameplay of them. I, I was a little worried from the demo that and I really, really love Remake. It was maybe my favorite game that year, one mm-hmm. of. And um, 
just I thought you don't need to build too much on that formula. You can just carry on telling the story. You've already got great combat, great characters, great locations. It looks stunning. Like you don't have to put too much on top of this. And I'm worried maybe they're trying to layer. They're like, it's not big things. It's like the climbing. I don't know if I need that. Although this isn't. This is kind of halting me and my flow a little bit. And especially in that demo, twice they make you just do hoovering for no real reason. Yeah. Those aren't puzzles. <laughs> they just awful. make you hoover up some make. I'm like, why are we doing this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure about <laughs> the hoovering. But, building. What I will but say, it sounds like that second chapter is much more what we want from this. It's, I mean, it's A, it feels a lot like what I wish Final Fantasy 16 had been. Uh, and particularly, th- th- there's lots of this, and I don't mean to you know rag too much on 16 but 16 was a disappointment to me i didn't come away with the most favorable view of that game Mm. but when you're in calm for instance calm is a very small town in the original it's been expanded a bit you don't actually spend a huge amount of time in it um at least at the start of chapter two but it had a sense of hustle like like bustle about it like it felt really lived in and it's not like there are millions of people to go and speak to most of them are just in the background but there was a sense of life to this place and a sense of this is something worth saving. You know, it's a game that will eventually lead to you saving the world from Sephiroth. And that sense of lived-inness about it, which mm. I never really got from Final Fantasy sixteen. You go to places and they felt really like they were just NPCs rooted yeah. to the spot, not really mm. doing anything, almost as if the towns were populated by cardboard cutouts. Whereas I don't get that from, from Seven. There is no. a... It reminds me a lot of there's a market in Final Fantasy XII that felt really hustle and bustle, almost slightly Star Wars Moss Eisley about it. Yeah. And I get a similar vibe to that here, um, which I really like. I actually quite like the climbing, and I think, Cardi, once you've gone past what's in the demo, mm-hmm. you might see how it's a bit more valuable in the that, open world. That's, just That's good. Yeah, at the moment, it just felt like, it was another way to get from A to B, and I was like, it's slower than walking. Why are you making me do this? I, I can absolutely see that. <laughs> but I think the fact that the world doesn't just feel like it's a flat grassland, the fact that it feels mm. like it's got texture and variety. That sounds good. Uh, I yeah. think it, it really works for me. Then obviously you can get the chocobos. Uh, or uh, I, I've always pronounced it chocobos. It's actually chocobo. But um, uh, with okay. that comes, you know, you can you can dress them up. You can put funny hats on them. Mm. Uh, you can do little time trials, and that will eventually lead to I races. I did see, like, so from that, they did a state of play this week, mm-hmm. right? And it looked like they're almost going to the levels Yakuza game goes I, with the amount of mini games there yeah, are Yeah, I thought that. So one of the things I love about the original Final Fantasy VII, which kind of stopped after this game, is it's got a surprising amount of weird aside gameplay and mm. that you saw a little bit of in in remake. In the, can you remember you had to go to the gym and do all of like the squats, yeah. and then you had the bits on the motorbike, um, mm-hmm. and all of those those were kind of like the hints because there's not a lot of that in the first section of the original game. But we're getting into a point now where those become much more prolific. Like there's a snowboarding section of the game. There's <laughs> uh, a, 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 a like a strategy bit where you have to defend a tower, like this tower on a it hill. Looked like I, mean, I don't know if you got much time to play it if it was in the demo you played it all but i am a sucker for a deck building card game in a game and <laughs> which is here if this one hit yeah if this one hits then i will probably spend too much time playing yeah that. i wouldn't but, say uh, it's not the quality of gwent by any means and i'm not sure if it's as good as triple triad which was final fantasy 8 card mm-hmm. game but it's certainly you've got three lanes on a board and it's getting i mean i have a low stand of those sort of things if if, if i can play it 
then I'll probably play. Yeah, it's essentially uh, best of three. So you've got three lanes. If you can get more kind of points on on two out of three of those lanes, you win. Very, very quick. It's not quite as... At least I didn't get the impression that it's as tactically rich as something like Gwent, but I think it's a a fun, Mm. you know, side attraction. But yeah, it does seem like there's crap loads of those, um, which I really like because I kind of don't mind if they're not the pinnacle of gameplay design because... I sort of already have that for a Final Fantasy in its character designs, both in terms of their narrative arcs, their interpersonal relationships, and their combat design. I genuinely think might be the best it has ever been in Final Fantasy. There have been, there were small conversations between Cloud and Tifa in that demo that really made me think that this is written by people that have, I guess, have had the benefit of over 25 years to master what they Mm -hmm. think of these characters. But they felt so authentic and honest and raw that yeah. I was like, okay, they've got all this right. I think the combat is, it's my favorite combat system that's ever been in Final Fantasy. You know, I do love the turn based stuff, and I think we'll always probably default to that in some way. Mm-hmm. But for a modern day interpretation, I couldn't think of anything better. Um, yeah. So all of that seems to be kept at its pinnacle. So I don't mind that these mini games maybe are not brilliant, but I love the texture and oddity and absurdity it brings to it um so i'm pleased that they didn't forget that final fantasy 7 is weird and it's got this stuff and they haven't just focused on what would have been the expensive i mean it must have been very expensive to make all of these and i'm pleased that they put that expense in rather than just going the game is expensive enough as it is with all of these cinematics and this very Mm. in-depth combat system I can't. I just can't wait to play this. We're only a couple of weeks away now, right? Yeah. I just. I can't wait to play this. <laughs> like, and like, especially as me. Like, I know some rough beats. Like, I knew the, for example, in that opening chapter, I kind of knew the Sephiroth. I knew kind of what his origin is. Mm-hmm. I know supposedly the Aerith stuff, but whether that happens, mm-hmm. like we, like everyone knows it happens in this game, is another question. I'm sure. Even for someone like you, Matt, who knows the this game inside out, the original anyway, there's gonna be. Yeah, there's. I think if you know this game inside out, you know if you have the history with it that I have, the stuff in that Nibelheim flashback that they've obviously been able to retool, and the mm-hmm. story in there that Simon, as someone that you've never yeah. played the original, will completely pass you by. But there are just oh, such small little token <laughs> moments where I'm like, okay, I know, I can see that this is really well thought out. Yeah. As long as they leave T for alone. We'll Sleep see. Tea for a <laughs> That's a warning. But yeah, yeah. In terms of kind of like building up to, they they've already said how far that this game goes. That it finishes at uh, a location called the Forgotten Capital, which is an important story beat. Kind of like the major kind of tipping point for the overall story of the game. So it's a good place to build to. But mm-hmm. knowing what they did with remake and how different the end of the Midgar section was, I am. At the point when I played that original, I really didn't like that they changed it. And over time, I've really changed my mind on it. It makes it very exciting for this remake project. In the same way, I haven't watched the... But I think you have, Jesse, the rebuild of Evangelion. That yeah. has kind of that vibe where it's not it's not what you think it is, right? Yeah. And that's sort of what I wanted to ask, actually. Like, how, how has, so far, anyway, the, you know, one and two remake um, been... How's it shaping up for you? Because I haven't... The only Final Fantasy I've really played was maybe like half of 10, and then I just didn't end up going back into it. And my plan is to 
however long it's going to take is wait until the entire trilogy is done mm. so they just push out like a mega upgrade and it's all together and but is this shaping up to be the final fantasy 7 remake you're happy with i i think so yeah so um i really liked final fantasy 7 remake but i think probably one of its problems is that it took too small of a segment of the game to turn into too big of an RPG. So you can do the section of of that game in about four hours in the original, and yet it's a 40-hour RPG. (laughs) I think they've chosen a much better stretch of game for for Rebirth to turn into a full RPG. Yeah. But in general, yeah, like, like... they've got the characters absolutely bang on i have absolutely no complaints about that and that's the thing that ties me to those games so much yeah is the character and the story and i think they're doing that very very well um obviously a big part for me is that it isn't the story that i've already played and it's the joy of seeing how they've twisted it and sometimes Mm. they twist it in places that i don't necessarily want them to but i still get excitement out of well what does that mean for these characters yeah um but for the most part, all the stuff that you do want to see happen, happens. Um, I don't know necessarily how that will be for you, um, having it without the knowledge of the original, because you haven't played the original, right? You have no. no... And I, I don't think I ever will, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what it's like. And I know, Cardi, you got on pretty well with Remake without that mm. origin kind of yeah. knowledge. Yeah. But it will all build to a lot of revelations in this third game that I don't know how they're going to work without the original knowledge. And I'll be very interested because they've always said that this game is for newcomers as well as returning Mm. fans. Um, I'm fascinated to see how it all works out because there are bits of this story, particularly how Remake built it, that Rebirth surely has to address in part, but I imagine won't fully reveal until the third game. And I do wonder how bananas batshit that's going to appear to people <laughs> if they don't know how the original panned out yeah that's we'll fair. see well in two three weeks when we can talk about this game in full um i'm sure we'll have answers from both sides there but maybe yeah that was a good chunk of final fantasy but there'll be more don't you worry there'll be plenty more to come um i got myself dug myself out at the weekend out of the suicide squad pits um that i really wasn't enjoying i'm not gonna uh, go re-litigate that again go over all that uh linking this to last week's not a big fan of that game um just a shame that uh a single player studio has made a game like that in my opinion so i was really hung i had the hunger basically for just a really good single player game just to kind of like cleanse my palate a bit and i was like do you know what I've only played Uncharted The Lost Legacy once since it uh, when it came out. I played it, really mm. enjoyed it. And I was like, you know what? This is six, seven hours mm-hmm. of just really, really good action-adventure game. And I still do prefer Uncharted 4 overall. That that connects to me more. I, I, I just Nathan as a character, I just mm-hmm. I love. And, and it's an important story beat for him. Exactly. Whereas this this is my probably is my second favourite Uncharted Lost Legacy. It is amazing. Like it takes Gameplay-wise, it probably is the best Uncharted. I agree. It takes the best bits of Uncharted 4 and basically it's narrows it album, down. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, that big open area that's like basically half the game, really, mm-hmm. um, where you go around the different temples collecting things is the Madagascar section from 4 done even better, yeah. I think. And the last, like, I don't know how long it is, the half train, an hour of that game the train is unbelievable. Is- it is their best, uh, to use a wanky word, their best set piece. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, like, 
Um, which is saying it just something. pips the four, the one from four to me, which yeah. is still amazing. Yeah, but to, to say that it, it you know, it's uh, even if you weren't to say it was better, but to say it's batting at the same level as the car chase from four and the train yeah. sequence from two, like uh, it takes, it's the way. It's just like the seamless. It's full like Indiana Jones, just seamless car to train to car to truck to train. Like the way that all, t- like because you're all doing it at your own speed as well. The the way it all loop like all matches up perfectly timed each time. Like you mm-hmm. go right. Like obviously they're doing tricks with you. The track is repeating and stuff like that. But you never ever feel you feel like it that that is a real like tangible distance you're traveling and stuff. Like it's just gene like. Those guys are naughty dog, pretty good. Yeah, we've actually got an art of the level on the on the on the car chase from Uncharted yeah. Four, um, which obviously they would have used some of that understanding and knowledge to to build mm-hmm. the this one that we're talking about. And I uh, I recommend people uh, have a look Definitely. at that on YouTube or IGN.com. I just wanted to mention it. If you've never played Lost Legacy for some reason, maybe you thought, oh, I, you know, I've just played four, or oh, it's a you know, it's a B tier one or something. It's not. It's unbelievable. Um, I just want more Uncharted. Like, don't get me wrong. Last of Us, absolutely love. But there's just something like, at my heart, you know, I'm an Indiana Jones kid. I'm a, I'm an Uncharted kid. I want more just fun. I think that's why I was enjoying Hell I was so much, because it's just pure fun. Mm-hmm. Like, And I do like mature stories in games and stuff like that, but sometimes I just want pure like popcorn adventure. And it does boggle my mind that no one really has attempted to clone Uncharted in any sort I mean, of way. Really. But like that, even then, what, since 4? Like, since Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy, is anyone really... I mean, it's not... A, probably says more about the state of the industry that, that no one's making big single-player mm-hmm. campaign games like that regularly on a big budget. But um, I don't know. Like, when you consider the amount of looter-shooter clones we've got and the amount yeah. of GTA clones when GTA was, like, huge, the amount of clones we got are those sort of games. Like, where are all the Uncharted clones? I mean, hopefully Indiana Jones... I'll play them lives up to it even though it's not a you know an uncharted clone it's doing its own yeah, thing yeah I'm, I'm hoping that indiana jones will hit that for me but yeah just this is my plea to naughty dog making please make another uncharted or let <laughs> someone else make an uncharted yeah i just want more uncharted i might i've already played through four like two and a half times but i could probably do it again jesus christ i would even you know what i would much naughty dog have done it if the last was part one if they did the full remake treatment on two and three you could do it on one i'm not as I don't care as much about one, but I mean, wouldn't surely... that be the point though? If you did it to one, you could. It would be the yeah. opportunity to bring it up to part. It's just of the that I don't think that story and it's one locate. It, to me, it's not as exciting. I'd still absolutely play mm. and enjoy it, but mm. two and three are like those are in more need of a than the Last of Us Part One was, I think. But anyway, you know, maybe they're doing that. I don't know. I want more Uncharted. That's all. This that was my little standing on a soapbox moment for. <laughs> but give me fun, Indiana Jones likes games, please. Um, well, do you know what let's just take a little brief break and we'll talk about a couple more things and then get to your feedback see ya hey there this is Justin Bartha I made a funny new podcast King of the Egg Cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black I'm torn by my feelings for two women Bobby Cannavale you can eat it 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. That's enough video game talk. Let's just we talk about a couple of things we've been watching. Um, we are two-thirds through the season of the new latest season of Two Detective now, so we can... Uh, we have some more developed thoughts on it. We haven't really spoken about it yet. Um, it's only six episodes this season, which I didn't realise. Um, Matt, I know you're only three episodes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm four episodes in. Jesse, you're not watching it, but mm. you know you can. We're not going to spoil it. Don't worry. No, that's good. Well, I, I still, need, this I still now. need to not, finish season one. One of the best seasons of television, if not the best season of television ever. Yeah. Um, what episode of that one are you up to? I. <laughs> I think the last time I watched it, I can't remember what episode it was. It was when Woody Harrelson was just doing something nasty. Something I never wanted to see him ever do. Um, to, I think if this, if it's the scene we're talking about, um, most people probably don't point out him in that scene. Yes, but, um, it is that scene. <laughs> yeah. So you talk about that's only like the one. second. That's like episode two, I think. Is it? Oh, okay. I think that's episode two. I was going to say you haven't uh, you haven't got to a bit where basically there's a great uh, episode where I'm trying not to spoil this. Matthew Carney goes undercover at some point. That's all I say. Okay. And there is just an incredible, like five minute long action sequence that's all one shot, which is just unbelievable. I, I definitely stuff. have not seen that, but that I think is... I think I might have seen like maybe three or four episodes. But the last thing that's really okay. stuck in my head is that one scene with Woody Harrelson. Really, which is bad. Like I said, most people aren't looking at Woody Harrelson in that scene. I know. Anyway, but... let's carry on. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> um, season four. I'm. It's worth talking about season one because a lot of the like initial impressions of this season when like all the pre-release reviews are coming out i was getting very excited because a lot of people saying this is like we're back at the level of season one which obviously the history of two detective is one incredible two yeah uh three i thought was very good and then they t- they've taken a few years break and people thought maybe we're getting back to it if you don't know the setup for this season it is in alaska and it's jodie foster taking the lead as Kind of a, gr- she's kind of the grumpy detective this time around. Really, she, she's not um, a nice person. It, no. it, even though she's not actively the villain of the piece, and doesn't always come across as bad. But she's clearly the work has got to her, and they think she has been warped by the duties of being this station officer. And yeah, she's she's not not great at keeping life together. Yeah, that's kind of the. I suppose that's the core theme to every season of True Detective. They're separate stories, but they're about fundamentally kind of detectives who aren't great people. Yeah, and the, I guess the toll that that sort of yeah. work takes on you. Mm-hmm. And also starring is Callie Reese, who is a former boxer who I've never really seen act in anything, but I think is very good in yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I do think so. Let's start with the positives. I do think the acting and the tone of this series, it's got much more of a horror tone than any of the other seasons and i think that's partly because it's hard to do this sort of setting that's all nighttime snowy in alaska and not 
conjure up images of the thing. And this yeah. is very knowingly conjuring up oh, images of oh, the, the thing. The the, <laughs> the the DVD case for the thing exactly. is in the first episode, very prominently <laughs> placed. Yeah. It starts at a research station. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for giving nods to things. Yeah. And also it's hard to do a, like a kind of a detective... Is it serious? A murder story that has horror tones without conjuring up Silence of the Lambs with Jodie yeah. Foster mm. in the role. Even though she's two nothing very like high bars. Clarice. She's, exactly. Her character is so far removed from Clarice, it's unbelievable. I do... I'm enjoying the season. I'm just... Something's not clicking for me about it. And I'm, I'm a bit disappointed because I really want to love it. And I think it is just fundamental. They've got all the... All the like the familial drama and like town tensions are there, but the actual central mystery hasn't really moved on at all. Yeah, I think... and I don't really know where I couldn't tell you where it's. I'm not sure if because even like the first season kind of had supernatural elements. There were weird like kooky things mm-hmm. that you could either choose to believe or choose to just think yeah. are just kind of Matthew McConaughey's character is a bit bit a bit mm-hmm. of a weirdo basically. <laughs> Whereas this one seems a bit stronger on an almost ghost story element to it. Yeah, I'd say there's... Whilst it doesn't have the tone of this, it's actually probably a bit closer to Twin Peaks in that, in the kind of... Although this has it, because it's so short, it's only six episodes, it does uh, find a way to filter that into every episode. But those kind of moments in Twin Peaks where uh you you cooper would wake up and there's like the weird giant guy that talks about the owls and stuff like that mm. there's generally something like that in every episode that pushes on the idea of is this actually a weird supernatural horror story or is it characters that i'm not going to talk about which characters kind of like i i the- theorize are involved here but are the characters that are just maybe going a bit insane and mm-hmm. i like that balance I've kind of I I've realized that there are sort of shared elements between the characters that are noticing the supernatural kind of mm-hmm. elements and then it, it you know that's making me question wider narrative things. And I do like that because that's very up my street. I've just come off uh, me and my partner have just finished playing Disco Elysium again. It's mm-hmm. uh my it's second good, time it? with it. Yeah, her first. <laughs> and doing the kind of inland empire routes through that where you mm-hmm. like talk to corpses and and have all of the weird stuff it's got a bit of that vibe to it right but that's very few and far between and actually almost takes up most of the casework in it like you say quite a lot of the episodes are built around kind of like the tensions between the police working on the case and the familial kind of tensions uh, and there's definitely interesting stuff about that. I think it's got like a lot about kind of like how a small town police force, like mm. weird dependencies crop up between different members of that force and that creates rifts between other things. There's a, a real big problem in this force that like there's a son and father part of that force. And, you know, it makes it very awkward when you've got a family unit that are working in a very small police force and it it causes tensions there, um, all of this kind of stuff. And because the town is so small, everybody knows everybody, right? So all of those tensions overlap into circles. And I think all of that is really well put together. But what it's causing for is a, a show that I think is moving very slowly in terms of its central case. And there's not a lot, there's only six episodes. And mm-hmm. I am concerned that where I am in episode three 
that not enough ground has been trod in making interesting waves. There's been waves made in the case, but I feel like it's almost feels like it's saving all of its interesting stuff for maybe yeah. like the last two episodes or something. It kind of the the first series kind of did this bit. It was kind of it chucked several red herrings mm-hmm. your way before actually kind of. But I don't out. think it's throwing but, red herrings. I just don't no. think it's throwing any herrings. Exactly. That's what I was gonna get. Like this is kind of just. Maybe like they say, yeah, they basically saved the last two minutes per episode to be like cliffhanger of some sort, mm-hmm. but never really. I don't know. I'm I like it. Maybe I just set my expectations too high because I thought it was going to get back to mm-hmm. where it once was. But I'll I'll finish it. Only a it's a, it's a good show, but when the problem is, is when you're sharing your title and mm. actually a surprising amount more inspiration from the first season yeah. than I was expecting. You are going up against one of the single greatest exactly. seasons of television that has been made. Be careful what you evoke, yeah. right? Because you might not live on top. Also, I like the song, I always have, but bizarre choice to use Billy Irish's barrier friend as mm-hmm. there's the main theme. It, it works. <laughs> Again, though, I think you're going back to when you look at the song that they use for True Detective Season 1 and the mm. opening graphics and stuff God, like that. So Again, good. an absolute classic of when you hear that, you know, you talk about the idea of when you hear the HBO uh, logo, mm. the static, there's yeah. always a song that you immediately think of. And for many people, it's Game of Thrones, right? Or oh, it's Kirby Enthusiasm. Oh, is it? Yeah. Bit, yeah. For a long time, for me, it was True Blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. um, the True Detective intro from season one is one that I heavily associate, like immediately following on from the HBO logo. And so, yeah, kind of even the presentation feels like it's a little bit odd. I think it's got its own flavor. I love that it's set in the arctic mm-hmm. uh, so, uh arctic sorry alaska, alaska. um because Snow. i th- i think that that heavy you know the 30 days and night element i think is a real good way of creating this locked box mystery where nobody's going to leave the town right like mm-hmm. you've got all of this sort of stuff going on and i think it's it's got so much going for it but yeah i am i'm waiting for it to truly grab me yeah yeah, I'm in the same boat. Good, not great so far. We'll see how it ends. Could be fantastic. Um, Something I want to know your opinion on, Max. I've been waiting, and I think a lot of people in the UK have been waiting. feels like months and months to see this film. The Iron Claw is finally out in UK cinemas this week. It's been out in America for, I think, about three months. Um, You're lucky enough to have visited the US in the last couple of months, so you got to go see it in a cinema Sorry, a while ago. Sorry, on New Year's Day. Oh, there you go. Yeah. What, what, what a treat. <laughs> um, we won't spoil this story. It's a real life story, if you don't know, of a wrestling family, um, of which we won't. I won't, don't think we need to delve in too much more about what happens to them. But um, yeah, what do you think of the film as someone who I know that you're not, this isn't necessarily the world you know a lot about? No, no. I, um, I had been told a little bit about uh, the story of the Iron Claw and the family that it sort of like positions mm. itself around. Um, so I kind of knew a bit going in, so I knew that this is not, uh, I, I guess it's not a happy go lucky story. It's, 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 a, it's a story of, of tragic proportions. Let's say, mm. you know, it's, if, if you were watching it in a Greek theater, it would have been branded <laughs> as a tragedy. Yep. Um, and <laughs> it, it definitely lives up to that. It's not a film that made me cry by any means, but certainly I felt some, a good deal of emotion and kind of like you know, you're you're led by this astonishing kind of central trio, which is um, got Zac Efron, uh, mm-hmm. who has bulked up incredibly for this role. <laughs> um, but also, I'm not like a person that knows Efron's back catalogue by any means. Like, I I'm too old to have been on the 
high school musical train. Um, yeah. So this is probably the first time I've ever really sat down and watched him. Uh, yeah, he's he's very good. He can be good. Like I've mm. seen him in comedies, but it's hard to judge how good an actor mm-hmm. he is in those. Like, yeah, I don't think I've seen the, him in anything first, serious. Like, bad Neighbours for me. He's, he's pretty good in that, and The Greyish Showman. I suppose he's okay in that. Yeah, but, I've, yeah I've not like, seen either of those. Um, he famous like he has tried to do serious roles that have often backfired, like the. Um, Ted Bundy film, which was meant to be sure. shockingly bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even oh. called like Science, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil. I yeah, think something like that. Um, so he has tried, and but yeah, like this feels like finally this is a role where I think everyone who's seen this has been like, oh, he genuinely can act. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he he he's great, and he's backed up by. Uh, so Jeremy Allen White from The Bear mm-hmm. is in nice. it as as one of his brothers. Again, I mean, th- that guy can act, can't he? Like that. He's very good. Uh, he's had a trial by fire. You kind of see them as brothers as well. They're yeah. kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, got that look. <laughs> yeah, and then Harris Dickinson is the other kind of of the central brothers. The, there is another brother who I'm afraid I can't actually remember who plays him, but he's mm-hmm. a bit younger um, and has, um, you know, a slightly different path through the story than those guys. But they feel kind of the central three and they're from this kind of family there. Their dad is a wrestler known as the Iron Claw and they're kind of following almost in a fighting with my family sort of way, but (laughs) a lot more serious. But yeah, it's kind of this family of people that are carrying on this task to kind of like get the the belt, I suppose, as it is. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a a journey that doesn't really go well for anyone in this. Um, I think it's it's not... um, I've seen a lot of people talk about it being like one of the best films that they'd seen kind of like of that year when when a lot of the reviews were coming out mm. last year. I also saw that we gave it a five, which I absolutely don't. Oh, I ag- didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I don't agree with that. That's you know, obviously we all have all of our reviews have got different opinions, and that's fine. But it's not it's not one that I share. But I wouldn't have put it. I'd like maybe give it a seven or an eight, something like that. Okay. I bet it was probably more of an eight if you had more I attachment. I do really want to see it, to and I'm glad it's finally out in cinema, so I can so I can go see it. Yeah. Do, do, is there a log of eighty songs? Do they hit you over the head with them? I That's wouldn't become say a get... recent bugbear of mine. Is yeah. Overly obvious. Certainly not drops. hit over the head with it, but it's got it's got the right vibe, you know, kind nice. of like it's got the a lot of the shots have got that texture to it, and nice. mm. I think the ultimate thing is is their father who is. Cardi, you're going to have to remind me. Who is the guy that plays the elder uh, his partner in Mindhunter? Holt McAnally? Yes. Is that? Yeah. I think Holt McAnally? Ah, McAnally. Mm-hmm. I can never say his name. Yeah. So he is their father, kind of like the original Iron Claw. And he's got a bit of kind of like wants his sons to do the things that he could never do. Mm. And so a part of it is that story of parents pushing people really hard it's almost a mm. little bit of you it's not it's very similar vibe to um fox catcher if you've ever mm-hmm. seen fox catcher yeah. yeah um i'm getting that sort of and i really i think that film's fantastic yeah. and, and, the, and those kind of like that story extends outside of just sporting right it goes yeah. to i mean i think of like whiplash and the way that jk simmons yeah. is is kind of pushing people forward but he gets a bit mean with it yeah it's got a bit of that i actually think the film would have benefited from a bit more of him in it because it's so focused on the brothers that I actually think that his relationship with them is the pivot around what this film makes. And I kind of wish they'd put a little bit more weight on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, it's not its not a film I can really complain about. I could see how it could have, in my eyes, elevated to a slightly higher point. But I do think as a dramatic piece, it, it, it works. Like, it's good. Yeah. 
I'm definitely going to go see it. I've been looking forward to it for a while, and I haven't had a trip to the cinema in a little while, so mm. that'll be lovely. Um, now we're going to get on some of your feedback. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Uh, email us about anything. I still want to know what gets you pumping. Uh, that's the top of my list. I've been hearing that every week. <laughs> and you know what? Let's let's reignite the old. Uh, what's the best lunchbox snack after the tragic breakaway news of today? Um, what, what? Where do you stand on the uh, a rocky maybe or a, a club biscuit, a gold bar? Like what a is boost. the best chocolate biscuit? A penguin is a classic. Remember the Echo. Rest in peace, Echo. What's that? Is that, uh, that like the bubbly one? Yeah, got got a biscuit and then bubbly white chocolate and then covered in milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. like yeah. the edgy chocolate, the Echo. Yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, I've seen a lot of people say is the endless search dead. It's not dead. We will do it occasionally. It's just maybe on weeks where we don't have so much to talk about. We've already gone an hour or so uh, at the moment, so we're going to go straight to feedback. But the endless search will come back every now and then. Don't worry. And if you hate it, I'm sorry, but it's coming back <laughs> every now and then. So there you go. Um, like I said, your feedback, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com for all your chocolate biscuit and pumping stories um who have we got first up i believe matt you've got an email first up this time from jay martin who says hey guys long time listener with the rumor swirling that xbox will be announcing that they will be releasing games on third party platforms next week i wanted to get your thoughts on that i'm confused as to why so many people why, why people are so surprised and upset by this For a while, I thought Xbox's main focus was to become a platform first, much like Steam. Game Pass has taken the PC market by storm, and with their play anywhere mentality, is the ultimate goal now less about first party titles and console sales, and more about getting everyone into their ecosystem. If they could get Game Pass on PS5 and Switch, that would be a huge win. I think that is smart, especially considering that there are gaming PCs for all budgets now. Just wondering what your thoughts were. Have a great weekend. From Jay. I thought we'd have a brief chat about all this because at the moment, all rumours, no one... We re- honestly really don't know what's happening. Yeah. There's a lot of rumours about Xbox games going third party, etc. Next week, well, I imagine on the podcast, we'll be able to have a good chat about all this because Phil Spencer's going to have a chat to all of us next week about what's going on with Xbox. He might not say anything about this. Who knows? It would be very surprising if he didn't. Um, that's kind of... Uh, it's uh, Obviously, we're basing this all on rumours, hmm. so who knows? But I can see why there's benefits and why there's not benefits and Trump mm-hmm. can't be the opposite of benefits for a second there <laughs> but um like i don't actually agree that getting game pass on ps5 and switch would be a good move because i feel like game pass is the one thing that would get people to buy an actual xbox because of yeah. the value of it mm-hmm. i can see why the games might go on to ps5 or switch and be sold at full price so you could buy starfield for i, 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 I on think maybe where what where the angle that jay is coming from from there yeah. is obviously phil spencer's comments in regards to this have always been we want to be where the gamers are right and yeah. they know that people are on these platforms and i'm fairly sure that in the you know the big leaks that came around the acquisition kind of loss uh, mm. elements I think was the not something that suggested that maybe they tried to get it to switch, but ultimately PlayStation and, and Nintendo are never going to allow Game Pass on their systems. No. It absolutely makes zero sense, not particularly when they are in such strong positions. Like Nintendo will, if, if they keep up the momentum of the Switch and they don't fail in the way that Wii U did on whatever their next console is, yeah. they have got such a strong user base. They absolutely do not need... Yeah. Even if you had to pay money for to put Game Pass on there, 
that they don't need that. Neither does PlayStation. I don't think that's happening. But I do see where Jay's coming from in terms of the ecosystem. I think that feels to me something that's come out of a floundering. It's Mm. our hardware side of plans is not working. We're not necessarily getting where we want to be with buying all these studios, but Game Pass is important to them. And if they can get Game Pass everywhere, that does filter people into an ecosystem, which would Mm. mean that they are playing it maybe on their TVs with the built-in kind of app or whatever. Yeah, that would work. All I just, that, yeah, I like you see. said, I can't see, yeah, you subscribing to Xbox Game Pass via P- PS5. That's the, I, I just can't see that happening. And like, and the whole thing of just games going third party, like, we're obviously in the privileged position of we have all these consoles, we have them for work, we, we can afford to have them. Like, I do agree that more people getting to play these games on as many platforms can only be a good thing. Like, I don't yeah. see, like, being like, oh, you know, I'll be annoyed if Starfield is on PS5, I more people get to play it. That's a plus in my eyes. I do get the, I do get some people being annoyed if, say, two years ago you could only afford either an Xbox or a PlayStation, and you were promised the only way you can play Starfield or Halo is by getting this mm-hmm. console, and then two years later they go, oh no, PlayStation can have them now, but because you got an Xbox, there's no way you're going to be able to play Spider Man or God of War yeah. because PlayStation I'm- don't need to do it. I can understand the frustration of. Not necessarily you've been lied to, but like it's uh, a little bit of like uh, a little bit of regret of like oh if I'd known this I would have bought a PS5 and had a lot more mm-hmm. games to play. Yeah. Basically, I I can understand that frustration. Um, I just have no sympathy for the people who uh, are uh, online and taking it far too much to heart and actually sending death threats to people, including our colleagues and. Even the people who only months ago made videos about me sending people to abuse me over a Call of Duty review, I will then laugh at you if you post a video if you on the verge of tears because Starfield might come to PlayStation. I will laugh at you. So there you go. Just wanted to get that out. Uh, it's just I funny mean, to me. That that's the <laughs> that's the tribalism that has uh, been a the the toxin yeah. in the game debate waters. Unfortunately, mm. for time the immemorial, this people point. and communities, and it could all come back to bite some people in the arse. Yeah, probably. yeah, and I think, uh, and you know, I I largely don't understand the tribalism behind uh, games. Uh, no. Even before I was a games journalist and could only afford, you know, one console. Yeah. Um, but I can see sadness around people that are looking beyond what this means you know you start to look to the future and it's okay okay this does seem whether you you know i think that this is microsoft floundering like they realize that things are not going Mm -hmm. well and they're desperately now trying to figure out what to do next and unfortunately all this stuff keeps leaking so it becomes even a weirder perspective especially when they've courted a lot of these uh, influencers and community members that are a little bit kind of like on the verge of toxic, right? And all of these influencers are pulling from the leaks as well. So you've got this big yeah. message that Microsoft has sort of encouraged people to mm. to consume, it right? Just feels, yeah, it just feels like Phil Spencer, they've just been on the back foot for so long now. Like all their yeah. messaging is reactive like yeah. this and it's not their fault these things have leaked necessarily no, no. but but um, you know what i could knows? see is you know if you're if you're you know if you've only got an xbox and you've only ever had an xbox and particularly if you bought into the digital first ecosystem and you've been buying all of these um mm-hmm. games that are now only exist in microsoft space and there's this feeling that's like okay 
is the Microsoft hardware market going to crumble from underneath them? Are they going to become a... I don't think they'd just be exactly what Sega has become, where they're just a publisher of, yeah. you know, a, and own a bunch of studios or whatever. Like, where, where does like your library go in the future? Exactly. That's the main thing. And mm-hmm. the hope would be is that they are finding a way to do this play anywhere where your library suddenly becomes accessible elsewhere. But in terms of uh, those games that you have that are you know digital-only games that aren't necessarily built around cloud and you want to mm-hmm. play them on locally, that means you've got to go out and buy a PC that is good. Like, yeah. like a, play, a Series that X is-, is a good PC. I'm not saying it's the PCs that, you know, I know, Jesse, you've got a monster of a PC. It's not that, but it is still a grand's worth of PC in a box yeah, that costs like 500 and like, quid. The thing is, you could, you know, you could spend, you know, 200 pounds on like some old used PC parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, you would still be able to play all those, like the... Ma- Near enough, all of those Xbox games, because especially when Microsoft were bringing those mm-hmm. Xbox exclusives to PC, mm-hmm. like the Ryan was on the wall kind of then, it was just like, you know, there's more access for everyone. But uh, I, I, I do feel sort of sorry for the people who are like, I want to be able to experience these exclusives, but also have it have the hardware to back it up. And if suddenly, you know, that starts to dis- disappear, the physical media section starts to disappear as well. It's like, you're not going to have mm-hmm. the thing there to best experience. Pre- Preservation it's, becomes the problem, it's right? It's a perfect yeah. storm of all that stuff, isn't it? Because Xbox Game Pass is undoubtedly like the best deal you mm-hmm. can get. Like, yeah, it's absolutely. unbelievable value, but it is all digital. A lot of it's cloud, a lot of it is streaming. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That is why physical media is still important. It's why I have been buying some of my favourite films on 4K Blu-ray, because mm. I've, I feel like if I pay 25 quid to buy them, I don't know, an Apple TV, who's to say they won't go... No, no, you, you now have to pay more to keep those. I'm, I'm in exactly the same position. And I've all, like just this week, I started considering, should I buy physical copies of the games that are dear to me? Because, yeah. yes, they're always going to be there um, in my digital library as long as that digital library exists. Mm. But what happens if playstation falls through the floor not i'm not saying it's going to but you know particularly for xbox i think it was last week spec ops the line is getting delisted from every online store an important game yeah Yeah. and it's just like could disappear it might have been today or yesterday funimation is uh, no crunchyroll is you know shutting down and people have bought movies or particular things from crunchyroll it's not crossing over to Funimation. It's just like, if you've spent money in any of these digital places and suddenly... It's bad that they can just take that away from mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I and I think it happened recently be... with um, the PlayStation sort of Warner Brothers Discovery things. If you had bought TV shows, those suddenly just disappeared and now I think those are coming back, something like that. But just yeah. either way, losing access to that library sucks. And you can mm-hmm. see why if you're an Xbox owner... I can see why this starts to become a, a problem. It's all well and good being told about the idea of, oh, well, our ecosystem extends to, we want to get you to be able to play just on your TV. You buy a new Samsung TV and it's got Game Pass installed. But it's like, okay, but that means I've got to stream. A lot of people yeah. don't want to stream their games. Like, it's still not or have perfect, the internet to be able to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, big, big discussions. We'll find out more week, more next week about hopefully about what Xbox plans are and we'll actually be able to stop just theorising and rumour uh, swirling. I don't know, I've just put words together there. Who knows? Anyway, let's move some more feedback. This one is from William Cleverly. It says, Dear IGN crew, long-time listener, haven't written in since the days of writing haikus. I don't remember. I That is, I've completely When did that even moment. occur? Maybe Ghost of Tsushima because there was haikus oh, you couldn't right. write in that. I'm, I've been doing this too long. 
Um, <laughs> we um, put out the call for what uh, like '90s or early 2000s like game shows would you want to make a comeback after the another return of Gladiators, and then I suggested Scrappy Challenge should maybe come back is one. Um, I would like to hear one if you've got one, Matt, because uh, you weren't on last week. But first, let's go on to William Cleverly, who has suggested X Fire. Um, it's a Channel 4 game show where a team of contestants would basically play paintball in an old airport against grunts and experts all m- who were almost like the house robots. I used Robot to watch Wars. this. That sounds I don't sick. remember this. I do. It sounds good. Um, it's incredibly video gamey. They would earn money that they could then spend between rounds. Those are basically what... It's... Um, like Counter fi- Strike. Is it the finals? Uh, Counter Strike, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, money in between rounds that they could add turrets and shields to bring back their eliminated friends. They could even pick the difficulty of the final mission to earn a bigger prize. I never saw it. It's basically, yeah, Counter Strike. It sounds fantastic. The choice to host a new version of this, a Bear Grylls type, maybe? I, I could see that. Bonus question if you competed on this show, what would your team name be? Thank you for all you do and respect the sea. Let's do that first. Team name, what would we be? I'm just going to uh, do what what I named my uh, my ship on on Helldivers, which is the Spear of Liberty. <laughs> Bring liberty to went, everyone with a giant dagger. It gave me the dagger. option to do Dawn of Dawn, so I'm going to do it because <laughs> it's stupid. Um, we could just be the Helldivers. Um, yeah, I've never seen. I'm going to have to watch some clips of this because this genuinely sounds fantastic. It's, it's good fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesse, you would have been. I reckon you would have applied to be on this if it was around these days. Have you done much paintball in your life? Uh, no, not paintball, more airsoft. But I feel like I'm just. Okay. I feel like paintball just hurts more. I don't know. I've not it, tried it. it. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, I'd like to see you try. Um, Matt, have you got have you got a game show from the nineties? Maybe or not one that I want to bring back, but a nineties <laughs> game show that like haunts me, and I think about it way too often because it's horrible. It's just I don't know how it got made, and it absolutely could never be made now. Do you remember oh. Man O' oh Man with Chris Tarrant? I knew Tarrant. you were going to say that, where they'd push the men in the pool. But it was just like, you had a bunch of men and these scantily clad women that would come out. And yeah, they yeah. just pushed the men that they didn't like in a pool. And what was the song they'd what? play when they did it as well? They'd walk up and down the line. It was basically an even worse version of Take Me Out. Yeah. It had even less like value to it like than that. Really weird, seedy, and like all the people that would be in the audience and they'd have telephones, right? And you could do things with the... Yeah. I can't remember if you could phone in down to I'm the stage. I'm pretty sure it was like, when it got down to like the last two or three as well, it was like they had like whoever kissed worse got yeah. pushed in oh, and stuff. I'm seeing it's it hosted was real by the like fucking, bottom um... of the barrel stuff, but I definitely watched it as like an eight year old thinking it was hilarious that just people were getting pushed yeah. in pools. Who, who's the guy who hosted who wants to be a millionaire in the UK? Yeah. yeah, Chris Tarrant, who wants uh, didn't he want to throw a spoon at someone in a restaurant? I think that is, it, is that the story of his cancellation? Uh, let's have a look. I actually um, I scrolled past it on TV the other day. Uh, he has a TV show which is Chris Tarrant's Extreme Railway Journeys. <laughs> Wow, extreme can they be? Well, I don't know how old he is. He's, uh, he's seventy-seven now. Where's the? Uh, there must be the con. Where's the? Where's the spoon? I'm gonna look. This, this looks awful. Oh, it was like I thought it was weird at the time, but weird because it was like why are these people being chucked in a swimming pool? In hindsight, as an adult living in 2024, oh boy, that was not yeah. a good show. There's something I really despise. I might about watch the Man oh Man like early that. 2000s fashion. It's just. Mm. Oh, I, I guess a, come back round. A, a more wholesome 90s show. Do you remember You Bet? Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you had to, I liked You Bet. Yeah, that, that, that's something. Or, or maybe get Scylla's Surprise Surprise back. <laughs> I have Did seen... Ever, I loved uh, Fun House. 
Funhouse, as in the kids one, Funhouse. Yeah, yeah, Funhouse yeah. is good. Yeah, Funhouse is good. good. When they got in the, the little um, go-karts and you spin around, yeah, yeah. that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, so in 2007, Chris Tarrant was arrested on suspicion of assault at an Indian restaurant. <laughs> um, I think he was released, but he did admit that he did jokingly lob some cutlery onto a couple's table cool. after asking them to leave him alone. <laughs> Oh dear, push him in a pool. I wouldn't mind 50 50 coming back. I like 50 yeah, 50. 50 was good. Fun. Yeah, yeah, get your own back. Always mm. time for some Dave Benson Phillips. Uh, good stuff. We want more emails about that sort of stuff that is very specific to mine and Matt's childhood memories, <laughs> if you could. Um, Jesse, you've got the last email to Yeah, me. this is from Chris Dawson. He says, hello, IGN crew. I'm a longtime listener. That's written in a couple of times in the past. Mm-hmm. As somebody from the Southwest, it's lovely to hear Matt talk about Bath. This is quite specific, but I vaguely remember him mentioning a pizza place in Bath that he spoke very highly of. I think it was The Oven, but that may be wrong. Could we get a Perslo pizza recommendation along with any insights he could offer? Thank you very much. Respect the sea, grave diggers, and the firm. Keep yes. doing what you're doing. It's a weekly pressure. Pleasure, not spot, pressure. What, what, what is the best? best so, so it is the oven, which is, nice. uh, if you're in Bath, it's opposite the Five Guys and the Z Hotel. Um, very close to the centre. Got that nailed down. <laughs> um, and yeah, the oven. I used to, so I don't live in in Bath anymore, but I lived in Bath for a few years when I was uh, working at another publication. And the oven has an except makes an exceptional uh, Neapolitan style pizza mm-hmm. with one of the most delightful crusts, like properly leoparded all the way. It's Whoa, like like nice and crisp <laughs> and charred on the outside, but in the middle, it's like really soft and fluffy and mm. pulls Should apart. That's good, and they do they do a really good set of like most like many of the pizzas are kind of classic Neapolitan flavors, but there are some just slightly like out there ones where there might be ones with a bit of apricot jam on and some walnuts or. Oh. Oh. That sounds not for me funky though. That sounds nice. Not for me, but yeah, I always like. There's normally about two, maybe three on there, and I think they're seasonal and they'll rotate. But it's just a little bit out there. But you can obviously have your classics. Yeah, I'm very safe when it comes to pizza. I don't like. Uh, any real fruit on there you, you can have you can have a, a salami one that's going to be absolutely fine oh, you won't get fine. a pepperoni it'll always be like more traditional fine. i prefer salami yeah. i think less salty mm. less oily and when i was in um in bath on at the bottom of milsom street the oven actually opened up a place called the slice which was kind oh. of like their take on in a, you know how in america you'll buy a slice of pizza particularly yeah. in new york it was their take on that it was not long for this world, but God damn did me and my <laughs> friends use it a lot because they had a punch card system where once you'd had like Ooh. seven punches, you could get a free slice or a free side. And they did arancini, a little box with three arancini in, or you could get uh, stuffed little uh, green peppers. They were good. Um, it reminds me a bit of, have you ever been to Voodoo Rays in London? They I've not, no. Slice. Mm. That might be a, a nice replacement for you. It's pretty good. It's one in Dalston. Yeah. I mean, pretty good pizza there. Matt, yeah, what the, uh, I want to know is just looking at the lowest reviews on Google. Yeah. Someone <laughs> said the music was too loud. Did you agree? Well, I quite frequently sat outside. There's a really nice ah, outside section gentleman. because then you get to look across the area. You couldn't look at if you've gone late at night. You get to look across at the casino when people falling out the casino. And <laughs> crucially, you are out of range of Chris Tarrant's cutlery if you sit outside. Oh, yes, yeah, that yes. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. And also, it's very hot inside because it's quite a small place, and so the pizza well, oven. It's like an oven in there. Well, yeah, exactly. Because like, ah, the pizza ah, oven probably ah. takes up Jesus. about a quarter of the space in there. 
um, there is um, back when I was there was when Franco Manca was only just expanding. So when Franco Manca's opened, I thought I it was incredible. I love a full history of the pizza restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. and I still do. Look, I think Franco Manca, particularly in London, is <laughs> like if you j- just if for the price of Franco Manca in London, it's one of yeah. the best pizzas that you can get in terms of a chain. But uh, everybody knows what it is now, so it doesn't sound as cool when yeah. you say, "Oh, you should go like, and check um, out Franco Manca." It's like we. Uh, semi-regularly visit uh, Pizza Union in mm-hmm. London because that's only six, seven quid for a pretty good pizza. Yeah. Not the best pizza in the world, but it's mm. a good pizza. Mm-hmm. But, so yeah, there we go. There's some Bath and London pizza recommendations Fantastic. for you. Uh, good stuff. What a way to end the podcast. I want pizza now, but I don't think I'm having pizza today. So, What are you having, Cardi? That's a shame. I don't know. Uh, not pizza, though. It's not going to be pizza, I don't think. Um, Pork I think belly I teriyaki. Oh, I think I'll have some sausages in the fridge. So I'll do something with that. Well, uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Igen underscore UK feed. Oh, God. I've lost <laughs> it. I've lost it. Igen underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Let us know everything. Everything that's on your mind. What are uh, you having for dinner today? <laughs> democracy. Uh, yeah. Yes, democracy. Manifest. Um, <laughs> Sounds succulent. Go. Exactly. Oh, I'd like a succulent. That's a good word, man. Um, right. Let's go, shall we? Uh, I'll pick some music. What have we got here? Oh, something from Final Fantasy or Hell Divers. Let's get succulent meals, guys, to end us up. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, we should listen to that, <laughs> shouldn't we? Okay. All right. All right. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Have a look at the headlock here. See that chap over there? Get your hand off my penis! This is the bloke who got me on the penis before. Get some cups. Why did you do this to me? Get some cups. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? Oh, that's a nice headlock, sir. Oh, ah, yes. I see that you know your judo well. Good one. And you, sir? Are you waiting to receive my limp penis? Now get your hands off me. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.